Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Samuel chapter number 24. I'd like you to keep your place there. That is our text for this morning, but go with me just real quickly to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 5. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 5. And we have been going through a sermon series entitled Bearing the Hatchet, and we've been learning about how to live at peace with ourselves and uh, others around us, and we've been talking about how bearing the hatchet uh, has to do with making peace, and it's a figurative expression, originated as an American Indian tradition. Hatchets were buried by the chiefs of tribes when they came to peace agreements, and if you're a first-time guest this morning, is your first time here, uh, you, you might feel like you're kind of walking into the middle of a movie, uh, but that, that's because we've, we've been studying this for the last couple of weeks, and uh, the first week in the series, we talked about from whence come wars and fightings among you, and we talked about what causes us to cross that line, where we're not just asking a question, but we're asking a question meant to hurt. We're not just trying to help someone, but we're trying to hurt someone. We're not being productive, we're actually being destructive, and where that comes from, and how there's lust, that war in our members. And then last week, we talked about recompensing to no man evil for evil, and how the Bible teaches that we should not treat people the way they've treated us, even though our flesh really wants to, but we should treat people the way that we would like uh, to be treated, and we should treat people without recompensing to them what they have done uh, to us. This morning, I want to preach a sermon entitled, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And of course, that phrase is found in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, we have the famous Sermon on the Mount, and the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching this uh, great, great Christian uh, uh, philosophy sermon that he's teaching about New Testament Christianity and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And of course, he begins this sermon with the great introduction on the Beatitudes, and he talks about the different things that will make somebody blessed, and he gives the uh, and he gives this very famous statement in verse nine. He says, "Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers." And he says, "Here's why." He says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God." And the idea is this: that being a peacemaker does not make you a child of God. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ makes you a child of God. The Bible says as many as as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But if you want to live your life in such a way that people will look at you and say, there goes a child of God, there goes a follower of Jesus Christ, there goes a believer, that person really is who they say they are, Jesus said you must live a life of peacemaking or being a peacemaker. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, I want to. Uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to break down a very famous story from a very famous character in the Bible called David, and we'll see how David was blessed because David was a peacemaker. But before we do that, and before we get into that, let me just give you, just by way of introduction, some thoughts in regards to peace. Now, uh, you're there in Matthew. We are going to come back to Matthew later in the sermon, but that should be easy to find. Go, go to the book of James, James chapter number three. At the end of the Old Testament, uh, excuse me, at the end of the New Testament, you've got the book of Revelation, and then if you head backwards from Revelation, you've got Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, James chapter number 3, James chapter number 3, and look at verse number 17, James chapter 3 and verse 17, the Bible says this, but wisdom is from above, and I want you to notice that he begins to give us an order uh, of importance. And whenever the Bible gives you a list or an order of sequence or an order of importance, you ought to pay attention to that. It's put in that reason, in that order for a reason. And notice what he says. He says, but the wisdom that is from above 
is, he says, first pure, then peaceable. He says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And notice the context, verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. He says, look, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace that make peace. So in verse 18, he's talking about the fact that blessed are the peacemakers, that it is good to be those who are trying to sow peace and who are trying to make peace. But before verse 18, he tells us that the wisdom that is from above, the truths that come from the word of God, the truth that comes from God, he says it's first pure, it's first right, it's first holy, then peaceable. And here's what I want you to understand. Today we're going to talk about peace and being peacemakers and how to live at peace with ourselves and others. But please understand that the Bible does not teach the concept of peace at all costs. And today you've got people who will say, well, we must have peace at all costs. And, uh, you know, peace is the primary objective. And we need to get along with everybody. And we need to put aside all differences. And all Christians need to just get together and hold hands and uh, sing Kumbaya and just put aside all differences because we must have peace at all costs. The Bible does not teach that. In fact, the Bible says that wisdom that is from above, truth that is from above, the truth that comes from God, he says it's first pure then peaceable. Now, we can have peace. Look, we can have doctrinal peace, but first we must have doctrinal purity. So please understand that the Bible does not teach this concept, peace at all costs. It does not teach that we should just put aside all truth, put aside all doctrine, put aside all difference, and have peace no matter what. No, we must first have pure doctrine, pure truth. We must have pure wisdom that is from above. But look, then he says, then, then it's peaceable. Then we can have peace together. And here's the point. The Bible does not teach the peace, uh, the concept of peace at all costs, but the Bible does teach that sometimes peace is not possible. Now, you don't have to turn here. I'll just read this for you. In fact, I'd like you to go to Jude. Uh, you're there in James, just going to flip over a few uh, pages past First, uh, uh, 2 Peter, First, Second, Third John to the book of Jude right before Revelation. You go to Jude, and in Psalm uh, 120 and verse 7, here's what David said. Psalm 120, verse 7, you don't have to turn there. David said, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. (laughs) He says, I am for peace, but when I speak, when I teach, when I give my opinion, when I say, here's what the Bible says, and here's what we should do. He says, I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And the idea that David is saying here is he's saying that there are some things that we do not compromise. There are some things that, look, you say, Pastor Mendes, are you for peace? Absolutely. Well, it seems like you've got a lot of enemies. Well, here's the thing. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. You say, well, why don't you just compromise on your beliefs? Why don't you just compromise on the Word of God? Because you know what? The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. And you say, well, do you want peace? Absolutely. But not peace at all costs. And there is time, and there are times when the Bible says that we must Take up arms and fight for the truth. So please understand this. We're learning about peace this morning, but we're not teaching peace at all costs. Are you there in Jude 1? Look at verse 3. Beloved, this is what Jude said. He's speaking to uh, a group of believers. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, notice what he says, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. See, the Bible does teach 
that sometimes peace is not possible. And the Bible does teach that sometimes we must go to war. But the Bible teaches this. Go to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans 12. And I'm kind of giving you a little bit of theology on the idea of peace from the Bible. Because biblical peace is different than worldly peace. When we think of the peace that the world teaches, we think of hippies and pacifists. Okay, but the Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You cannot have peace without the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 18. Notice what Paul said. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. And I want you to notice that we spent a lot of time in this passage last week. And Paul said, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of God. And then in verse 18, he says this, if it be possible. Now, he says, if it be possible, because sometimes it's not possible. So please understand this. This sermon is not meant to beat you up. You say, man, I'm not having a lot of peace with my family. I'm not having a lot of peace. I understand, because sometimes you may say, hey, I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Sometimes, you know, they they want us to have peace, but they want us to have peace and accept all their filth. They want us to have peace and accept all their sin. They want us to have peace and accept all their perversion. And we're not going to do that because we're going to first have purity and then we're going to have peace. But he says, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. So the Bible does not teach the concept of peace at all costs. The Bible does teach the concept that sometimes peace is not possible, but the Bible does teach this concept as well, that you and I, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, should strive for peace. When at all possible, when at all possible, we should ensue peace. You say, why? Because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, with all that said, and with that context, let's get into our story, 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24, if you can make your way back there. 1 Samuel 24. Today, we're going to learn from David, who is blessed for being a peacemaker. And I'll have to give you a little bit of the context into the story. David, if you remember, is being hunted down. If you're familiar with the stories of David in the Old Testament, he's being unjustly hunted as an outlaw by Saul, for no other reason than simply Saul's envy of David. 1 Samuel 24, look at verse 1. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. And I don't know about you, but to me that seems a little bit of an overkill. You know, 3,000 chosen men. Um, Out of all Israel... And went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Because again, David is being hunted down. David has been forced to flee from his family. The Bible tells us that all that were in distress and all that were in debt and all that were discontented went out to follow him. And now he's got this ragtag group of of soldiers that are kind of just made him the captain. And they're out living in the wilderness. They're out living in, in the mountains. They're out living away from their families, away from society. They're being hunted by Saul. David is running. Notice verse 3. And he came to the sheep coats by the way. So I want you to get the context. You've got Saul with the strength of the army, 3,000 chosen men, 
on his way en route to find David because he's been told that David is hiding, that David is hiding in, uh, in, in Gedi, that David is hiding in the rocks with the wild goats in, in Gedi. Notice verse 3, and he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. Now that phrase, cover his feet, is a euphemism in the Word of God, which means he went to use the bathroom, all right? And uh, he went to use the restroom, and he goes into this cave. Now here's the thing. If you're a soldier, and you're one of these 3,000 soldiers, and you're marching down the road, and you've got to use the bathroom, no one stops for you. You just go. You just go find somewhere and you go, right? But when you're Saul, when you're the king, everything comes to a halt. The king needs to use the restroom. And they stop this, three, this, this great parade of these 3,000 chosen men. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And I want you to understand the story. The story is this. And think about this. What are the odds? David is hiding in the mountains with the wild goats. And he hears, he sees this huge entourage, he gets word or whatever it might be, that Saul is coming and David tells his men, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to find a random cave. We're just going to find a random cave. We're just going to get down deep into that cave. We're just going to be real quiet and we're just going to let them pass right on. And as soon as they pass on uh, besides us, uh, uh, away from us, we'll come out of the cave and we'll just go the other way and that way there'll be no fighting, there'll be no bloodshed, there'll be no problem. Everybody thinks it's a great idea. They go down into the cave. They hide themselves. They hear this military parade coming and and all of a sudden, they hear it come to a halt in front of their cave. And here walks in Saul to use the restroom. Notice verse 4. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee. Some of you should read the Bible from time to time. It's interesting. Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand that thou mayest do to him. Don't miss this. That thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. You've got a man who's being unjustly hunted by a man who envies him. You've got David who's done nothing but be loyal to Saul. You have David that's uh, had done nothing but been a blessing to Saul. You have David that's done nothing but try to help Saul, try to promote Saul, try to be on Saul's side and try to be on Saul's corner, try to fight the battles for Saul and try to help Saul succeed. And because David was just too good at what he did, Saul became envious David has to run from his family, run from his home, hide in the caves, live as an outlaw, and now here is Saul in this cave. Here is Saul, and nobody knows it, that David and his soldiers are in this cave, and the men, the men who love David, who are also living as outlaws, who are also living in fear of Saul, who also became enemies of the state with Saul, they say to David, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand. And David has an opportunity here, and David has an opportunity, and David has to make a decision whether he will be someone who takes up arms against his enemy or whether he will be someone who chooses 
to make peace. Because here's the truth. David is a very well-known man. He's the one that killed Goliath. And it would have been very easy, excuse my uh, uh, language, but it would have been very easy for him to walk up behind a squatting Saul and to slice his throat and to cut off his head. With the entire army of Israel sitting out in that cave, if David would have walked out of that cave with the head of Saul uh, hanging uh, by his hand, no one would have doubted David. He would have immediately become the king of Israel. But he would not have done it by peaceful means. And what we learn from David in this story is there's a few principles when it comes to peacemaking. I'd like to just show them to you quickly. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down on the back of your sermon, uh, your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down notes. Here's principle number one for being a peacemaker. Because I hope that you, and I hope that, my, that I, would like to be peacemakers. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And uh, here's principles for becoming a peacemaker. Number one, we live at peace by not taking vengeance. We live at peace by not taking revenge. Notice verse 4 again. And the men of David said unto them, Behold, the day which, thou, which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. And that, I believe, that phrase is probably the phrase that kind of got David thinking because he knows, he knows that we don't live our lives doing to others as they have done unto us. He would know before Paul ever penned the words that we should not recompense to any man evil for evil. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. David decided, David decided, I'm not going to kill Saul. David decided, I've already been anointed king by, uh, by Samuel. One day I believe I will be king, but I do not want to become a king by this way. I don't want the story. I don't want the story. And by the way, the Bible says that our lives are a tale that is told. And David understood this concept that I don't want the story that is told of my life to be the story that I ascended to the king by killing the other king while he was going to the bathroom. I don't, I don't want that to be the story of my life. I don't want that to be the narrative that uh, David became king because he had an opportunity to seek revenge and he took it. And David decided, you know, I'm not going to kill him, but I, I will cut off the skirt. He said, I'll cut off a piece of his garment just to be able to show and prove how close I came to and could have killed him. Notice verse 6. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed. And here's the thing, you say, but but Saul deserves it, and he did. But, but, But David deserved the justice that was coming his way, and he did. But David understood this, that to be a peacemaker, we must live at peace by not taking vengeance. And he said, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David, notice, so David stayed. means he kept back his servants with these words and suffered. The word suffer means allowed. Allowed them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his Way. And I'd like you to keep your place there in 1 Samuel 24, but I'd like you to go back to Romans chapter number 12. And I want you to notice verse 9, and I just want you to understand this. That if you and I want to live at peace with ourselves and others, 
If we want to be peacemakers, if we want to be the type of people that people say, there goes a child of God, there goes a believer in Jesus Christ, there goes a follower of Jesus Christ. How do you know? Well, here's how I know. Because when David had the opportunity to take vengeance, he chose not to. Because we live at peace. We live at peace by not taking vengeance. And this is what Paul taught, Romans 12, look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16. Look at verse number 32. And here's all I'm telling you. If you want to live at peace, because when you are uh, living this life and going through this life, you may find yourself, you may find that you have the opportunity. You may find yourself in a dark cave with the opportunity to take vengeance. And you might say, well, the Lord brought this opportunity to me. Be careful how we sell, sell your, we often will sell ourselves on decisions. Isn't it true? Well, the Lord gave us opportunity. It's a dark cave. No one will know. How do we live at peace with ourselves and others? We live at peace by choosing, by choosing not to take vengeance. Proverbs 16, look at verse 32 Proverbs 16.32, the Bible says this, He that is slow to anger. He that is slow to anger, David, is better than the mighty, Saul. And he that ruleth his spirit, than he that taketh the city. Here's what it comes down to. The Bible says that when you can control your own emotions, when you can control your own emotions, when you can rule your own spirit, when you can force yourself to be slow to anger, he says, you're better than Saul, David. And you're better than, and for some of you, it might be you're better than your mom, you're better than your dad, because they hurt you, because they lied to you, because maybe they abused you, you're better than your husband, who's been mean to you, or wrong to you, you're better than your wife, who's mis- mistreated you, whatever the situation is, you say, well, I have an opportunity to seek revenge, I have an opportunity to have vengeance, and here's all I'm telling you, the Bible says that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit, then he that taketh a city. Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 3. Proverbs 20 and verse 3. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 3, the Bible says this. this is, it is an honor. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. It's an honor. It's an honor for a man to cease from strife. Don't miss this. But every fool will be meddling. Any fool can meddle in any fight. But it is the honor of a man to cease from strife. And please understand this. I'm not telling you that there's not a time to fight. If it be possible, if it be possible, then we should live at peace. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you have to fight. And for me as a pastor in my position, I get, that's what I get paid to do. 
I get paid to be vigilant, to be watching. I get paid to be watching for wolves coming into this congregation who are trying to hurt and hinder and destroy and kill and and, and steal. And my job is to fight those wolves off. So I'm not telling you that it's always, it's never right to fight and it's never right to confront someone. But here's what I have to realize is that when I do stand up to fight, I better have the right spirit about it. And I better be doing it because it's what God has called me to do and because it's the right thing to do and it's not just me taking vengeance. And I realize that whenever you fight anyone, you always get accused of, oh, you're just a bully and you're just on a power trip and you're just picking on. And you know what? Whatever people say, you're, look, you're going to have to live your life realizing that people are always going to criticize you no matter whatever decisions you make. But we should strive to live like the Apostle Paul and to say that I have a good conscience towards God and men. So I'm not telling you to never fight. Because we must earnestly contend for the faith. And if it be possible, then we should live at peace. But sometimes I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. But when it's possible, when it's possible. We should live by this principle, that we should live, that we should make peace by not taking vengeance. Let me give you the second principle this morning. Go, go back to First Samuel 24. Keep your place there in Proverbs if you're able to, and keep your place in Romans. We're going to come back between those three places uh, in the sermon, but let me give you the second idea in regards to principles of peacemaking, or principles of being a peacemaker. I said number one, we live at peace by not taking vengeance. Notice what David does in verse 8, First Samuel 24 and verse 8. David also arose afterward. And went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. Notice how he's respectable. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt? Be careful about taking action against someone based on what you heard they might be doing. David said, look, has David been seeking the hurt of Saul? No. Has David done anything but love Saul, been loyal to Saul, been helpful to Saul? Yet there have been people who have been coming around Saul and been saying things about David that are not true. And David says to Saul, wherefore hearest thou men's word? Why are you paying attention to people who are lying? About me. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm telling you. A mature person, a mature person would be careful about waging emotional war based on hearsay. You may want to get your facts straight. Say, Pastor Matt, don't you fight battles all the time? Aren't you always confronting people, you know, and and fighting the wolves and fighting issues? You know, I, I tell people this all the time, and please understand this. I will fight. And I don't have a problem with fighting. I don't, I'd rather live at peace, but if I have to fight, I'll fight. But let me tell you something. I'm not, I, don't, I don't start a fight unless I know I've got the evidence and I've got the... I don't start a fight unless I know I'm going to win it. I know what Matthew 18 says and I know how it ends. It ends before the church. It ends putting all of the evidence out there. And I don't start a fight unless I know that I can win the fight. And here's all I'm telling you. Be careful about starting fights based on hearsay based on, well, they said this, and hey, you know what, Saul, grow up. Wherefore hearest thou men's words? You've destroyed the life of David. Based on hearsay? 
saying, Behold, David, seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day. Notice David is saying, This is what you've heard of me, Saul. You've heard that I seek your hurt. But behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me. Some asked me. Some requested of me to kill thee. He said, Some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father... See, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for it, in that I cut off uh, the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. If you could make your way back to Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12. I said, number one, we live at peace by not taking vengeance, but number two, please know this if you're writing this down. We live at peace by loving our enemies. What did David do? He loved Saul. When I had the opportunity to kill you, I didn't. When I had the opportunity to hurt you, I didn't. When I had the opportunity to criticize you, I didn't. When I had the opportunity to insult you, I didn't. When I had the opportunity to uh, rip you apart, to lie about you, to tear down your reputation, to make you look like an idiot, I didn't. Romans chapter 12, verse 20, the Bible says this, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And I'll, I'll go ahead and give him the disclaimer because some of you are going to require it of me, so let me just go ahead and give it. I think it's ridiculous that I have to give this disclaimer for every sermon. All right. Obviously, we're not talking about reprobate. All right. Um, obviously, we're not talking about those who hate the Lord. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. We understand the Bible says that. I, I don't see the point of having to make that disclaimer every sermon. Pay your debt unless it's to a reprobate. Or, you know, forgive unless it's to a reprobate. Or love unless, look, I, we get that. Those who hate the Lord, we fight them to the end. Got it. I think I've proven that with my life. I don't know. Google my name. But we live at peace. We live at peace. By loving not the enemies of the Lord, but our enemies. Other people who may not necessarily be against God, and may not necessarily hate God, and may not necessarily hate the Lord, but they just hate us. They just have an issue with us. They just have a problem with us. And when we are dealing with that enemy, the Bible says, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. Now we're going to come right back to that, but go, go to Matthew chapter 5. This is what Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 5. What you'll find in the New Testament is that Paul basically just took the teachings of Jesus and expounded upon them. And you'll find that there's always this correlation between what Jesus taught and what Paul teaches. What Jesus taught and what Paul teaches because it's all the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, Jesus said this in the great sermon on the mount. The great sermon on the mount that began with the introduction of the Beatitudes and where he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. In Matthew 5.44, he says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies. And that goes against everything that our flesh and our society tells us to do. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. But they cursed me, so you bless them. Do good to them that hate you. But they hate me, so you do good to them. And pray for them 
which despitefully used you, but they've used me. And they've abused me. And they've been despiteful in it. And Jesus says, you pray for them. Which despitefully use you and persecute you. He says, you love your enemies. When they curse, you bless. When they hate, you do good. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. The Bible tells you, you say, why? Because peacemakers live at peace by loving their enemies. And the, the, the key is this, if you go back to Romans 12, the key is this, you say, but what, what is the gain in that? What will we gain in that? Romans 12, verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. I love that phrase. When you give your, your enemies thirsty and you give them to drink, your enemies hungry and you give them food, when you love your enemy, when they curse you and you bless them, when they persecute you, you pray for them, you know what you're doing? You're heaping coals of fire on their head. What does that mean? What does that mean? Go, go back to 1 Samuel 24. Here's what that phrase means, and there's a lot of debate as to what it means. And if your definition is different than mine, I don't care, so don't tell me. <laughs> Heap coals of fire on your, the head means to make a special effort or to induce a feeling of guilt or remorse. It's basically just meant, it means to make them look stupid. To make them feel guilty. Because here's the truth. We're reading the story, we're reading the story, and who's the hero? David. Who looks like an idiot? Saul. Saul's hunting David. Saul's hurting David. Saul is persecuting David. And David has an opportunity to take vengeance, and he doesn't. And we are reading that story thousands of years later and saying... David's the man. But if David would have killed David, would have killed Saul, it would have been a different story. You know what we would have said? We would have said, two angry men went at it. Two vengeful men went at it. Two bitter men went at it. Remember the story last week about the, the McCoys and what's the name of the other group? I can't remember. The Hatfields. A brother, uh, brother Nate's related to them, I think. That's why he's so angry all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Brother Nate was telling me he's related. He's related to the Hatfield, I think, is what he said. Um, but, um, you know, it's like, and we look at both sides and we say they're both wrong. They're both bad. Neither one's mature. Neither one's spiritual. But when we love our enemies, when we love our enemies, we heap coals of fire upon their heads, we make them look stupid. And we make them look Guilty, and we make them feel guilty. And notice this is what happens. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass, when David had met an end, an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, notice how Saul responds. Is this thy voice, my son David? <laughs> he's there to kill David. He's there to kill David. But now he's got his 3,000 men to help him kill David. And David just made him look like an idiot. Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Notice the guilt. And he said to David, and he said to David, because Saul immediately understood what would come as a result of this story. Saul immediately understood what these 3,000 men are going to go home and tell their wives and tell their kids. Saul immediately understood the implications of David loving Saul, his enemy. 
He said, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how thou hast dealt well with me. For as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, if just a normal, worldly person that doesn't love God, that doesn't follow God, if a man find his enemy, will he let him go away? Wherefore, the Lord reward thee good. For thou hast done, for thou hast done, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And here's, and here's the point, and here's what I believe. I believe that one of the reasons that we read about David, that David was a man after God's own heart. Because David was a warrior, and he fought when he had to fight. And when the Goliaths stood up, and they were fighting against the Lord, it was not about David, it was about God, and he stood up to fight. But David was a peacemaker. And he understood that to live at peace with ourselves and others, we must not take vengeance when given the opportunity. And we must love our enemies when given the opportunity. Go to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, if you kept your place in Proverbs. So here's a question I have for you. When you have the opportunity to recompense to someone evil for evil, when you have the opportunity to do unto them as they have done unto you, when you have the opportunity to take vengeance, to take revenge, and I understand that if we handed you the mic and you told your story, just like if we handed David the mic and, we, and he told his story, we would all side on David's side. We would say, yes, Saul is a bad guy. Saul is a meanie. He ran you off. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. And if you told your story, we might all side with you and we would say, yes, you're right. Yes, they were wrong. They were evil. They were mean. But putting all that aside, when you have the opportunity to hurt someone, do you take it? Or are you a peacemaker? Proverbs 15 and verse 1 says this, A soft answer turneth away wrath. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Some of you wives need to just memorize that. Some of you husbands need to memorize that. Some parents need to memorize that. Some children need to memorize You know, I think everybody needs to memorize this one. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Notice, notice. But grievous words stir up anger. So when you have the opportunity to recompense evil, well, they insulted me, so I'm going to insult them. A soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 16, look at verse 14, just one, one chapter over. Proverbs 16, verse 14. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death. Notice, notice. But a wise man will pacify it. You know what wise people do? They don't ensue wrath. They don't stir up anger. They pacify it. They make peace. They recompense good for evil. You insulted me. Do you know what? I'll recompense a soft answer. Because the Bible teaches to love your enemies, to bless them that curse you, to do good to them that hate you, and to pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Let me give you the last point this morning. We'll, we'll finish up. Go back to 1 Samuel 24. If you're not already there, I think you might be there. 
Look at verse 12. I'm giving you three principles. Three principles for living at peace with ourselves and others. Three principles for being a peacemaker. Principle number one was this. Live at peace. We live at peace by not taking vengeance when given the opportunity. Principle number two was this. We live at peace by loving our enemies when given the opportunity. Point number three is this. We live at peace by letting God judge them and giving God the opportunity. Notice 1 Samuel 24, look at verse 12. Notice what David says to Saul. He says, the Lord judge between me and thee. Man, I'll tell you, that's a good place to be. That's a real good place to be. When you can stand up in front of your men, in front of his men, in front of your enemy, and say, my conscience is clear, the Lord judge between me and thee. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. Notice what he says in verse 15. He said, the Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. See, the problem we have, the problem that we have, it's not that God won't step in for us, and it's not that God won't come in and judge on our behalf. It's that we don't give God the opportunity to. Is that we take it into our own hands. And we make sure it's just, and we make sure it's right, and we make sure it's done. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. The Bible says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, brother, give place unto wrath. Pastor, I don't know that I can do that. Here's how you do it. By believing this. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So how, how, do you, how do you live with that? How do you live with that? Here's how you live with that. Here's how you live with it. You have confidence that God will make it right. You have confidence that at the end and in the end, God will make it right. In His time, in His way, at His discretion, when He sees fit. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And you know what helped David? Because here's the thing, at the end of the story, David turns around and goes right back to a cave. And Saul goes right back to his palace. And nothing really changed immediately. But David was able to say, the Lord judge between me and thee this day. Go to Joel, Joel chapter 3. I'd like to show you just one verse real quickly. I know Joel seems a little random. In the Old Testament, you have the minor prophets. And um, towards the end, you have Daniel and Hosea and Joel, Joel chapter 3. It's interesting. I was just reading my Bible this morning. My wife and I, every morning, we just spend time at our table, the dinner table there, and she makes coffee, and we just spend time in the Bible before the kids get up and before we start getting ready for the day and all that. I just happened to be in Joel this morning, reading through the Minor Prophets. And, and, I, and I read this verse, and I thought, man, this is, this is a, an interesting verse, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'll just tell you the truth. And, and I'll say this for some of you, because we've got men here that want to go into ministry, and I appreciate that. I've got a leadership class with all sorts of guys that want to go into the ministry. And, and, and I will tell you this, that sometimes it's difficult to do this job of pastoring because I get paid to fight. I get paid to protect. 
And I have to make sure, and sometimes I have to check myself and I have to check my heart. And my wife helps me with this. You know, and sometimes I, I write things and I'm like, honey, look at this. Is this, is this okay? You know, and, 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 and because we have, to, we have to fight. We have to earnestly contend for the faith. We can't let people just come in here and just destroy this church and do what they want. But we also have to be loving and caring and live at peace. And I'll tell you, it is difficult sometimes. It is difficult. And I, and, and, and I counsel people and I help with people and I haven't figured it all out, but I figured this out and we're going to talk about it next week. Next week I'm preaching a sermon called Be Not Overcome of Evil. We're going to talk about bitterness. And I, and I will tell you, the best way that I've found to deal with bitterness is just not think about it. Because if you sit there and just think about the people that you've spent time with, the people that you've invested time into, the people you've, expected, you've invested prayer into, you've loved them, you've had them in your home, you've cared for them, you've been there when they needed you, and then they stab you in the back. And they criticize you, and they insult you, and they make it their full-time job to make videos lying about you. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, it can make you bitter. And it's the reason you find so many pastors and pastors' wives living a very discouraged and jaded life. And, I, and I'm not trying to criticize anybody, but I'll tell you, if you, you visit other churches, you'll find you, you've got pastors and pastors' wives. They, they show up right as the service begins, and they leave right after the service ends, and you can't call them, and you can't talk to them, and you can't have a relationship with them. And part of it is because they've just built up some walls because they've been hurt so much. And I'm not criticizing them. I'm just telling you this is the reality of life. And some of you, and you're not in ministry, but you've experienced this. You've had people who you love and care for and invested time and energy into, and they've hurt you. And you say, how do you deal with it, Pastor? Well, here's how you deal with it. I thought it was interesting. It was just in my Bible reading this morning. Joel chapter 3 and verse 7. Joel chapter 3 and verse 7. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them. And he says and will return your recompense upon your own head. And it's interesting that God tells us, the Bible tells us, recompense to no man evil for evil. But God tells his people, all recompense to them. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So how do you deal with it? Here's how you deal with it. You wake up every day and you tell yourself, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You wake up and tell yourself, you know what, they, they've, we've loved them and we've helped them and we've been with them and we try to help them along the way and they've uh, assaulted us and insulted us and criticized us and tried to hurt us and tried to do us wrong and, and, and tried to tear us down. But the Lord will recompense it upon their heads. That's the only way you can live because, look, if you live this life of revenge, if you live this life of revenge, we'll talk about it next week, you'll just live an angry and bitter life. And that is not what God has called you to do. What God has called you to do is to be a peacemaker. Why? For they shall be called the children of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, I realize that I'm speaking to people, many people here who have been hurt. They've been hurt by their kids, they've been hurt by their parents, they've been hurt by their spouse. They've been hurt by people, friends, family, 
fellow church members, people who they thought were their friends, that they thought were on their side. And Lord, it's so easy to fall into the recompense evil for evil game. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn from David that the peacemakers truly are blessed and that we want to end our lives saying, the Lord judge between me and thee. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to live that. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I pray you help us to live that. I know sometimes we have to fight. Sometimes we have to answer. Sometimes we have to give the truth. But Lord, help us to live a life with the motto that if it be at all possible to live at peace with ourselves and others. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up.